would you make my family welcome this morning as they begin to sing the next song? Amen. Could it be that we're so heavenly minded that somehow we've been blinded to what he's calling us to do right here? Could it be that heaven's always planned it? We leave here empty handed when this life disappears. But is it really living if my one ambition is simply hanging on till we all get out of here? I don't want to waste a breath, one heartbeat in this chest. I want to see his kingdom coming. I won't wish my life away. I want to live each day to give away what I've been given. I don't want to leave here with regret. I want to leave with nothing I think of all that I've been given and what I've learned from living. I know exactly what I need to do. So I pray that God would give me chances to show how great His grace is by living out His truth. If somehow I could choose it, I'd be the one God uses to make a difference in what forever means to you. I don't want to waste a breath, one heartbeat in this chest. I want to see His kingdom coming. I won't wish my life away. I want to live each day to give away what I've been given. I don't want to leave here with regret. I want to leave with nothing left. I want to be alive and lend a hand. Speak the truth to a dying man. chapter 25 and if you're able stand with me to honor the reading of God's word Matthew chapter 25 
verse 29 to give you context. This is the parable of the talents. How many of y'all remember the parable of the talents? Amen. Uh, three servants were selected. Uh, verse 29 uh, brings us into the context where uh, after the judgment was passed, uh, the, the Lord come back. Two of the servants doubled what God entrusted to them. One buried his in the ground and didn't do anything with it. And, and the Lord rebuked him for that. We're going to get into that in a few minutes. But I want to look now at verse 29. For unto every one that hath shall be given. And I want you to think of what he's talking about here. Everyone that hath, hath what? Hath, not, not just a talent, hath gain. Because the wicked and slothful servant had a talent, but it was taken away from him. So he's not just talking about just having something in your hand. He's talking about having something to show for what you did with what he initially gave you. In the banking world, we would call it a profit. You hear what I'm saying? Uh, in the farming world, we would call it growth or expansion, a good crop, right? So he's talking about gain. For, for unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. But from him that hath not, obviously he had something in his hand, but what didn't he have? He didn't have gain, right? Interest, there's the word. Hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath, which is in the banking term will be the principle. You see, you follow me, say amen. amen. Verse 30, and cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I want to preach this morning a thought called finders, keepers, losers, weepers. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Finders, keepers, the two that had gain. One was given five talents, one was given two talents. The one that had five doubled his, the one that had two doubled his. Okay, and so uh, these two made it a mission. And here's, a th here, here's the most important principle that I want you to get this morning is the difference between the two that gained and the one that did not is this. It was their focus. It was their focus. That's who that gained focused on gain. Focused on growth. The, the one that did not focused on keeping. Mm -hmm. uh, he, he didn't want to take a risk. So he thought that his Lord would be proud of him, that he would bury it in the ground so at least when he returned, he would at least have his principle and he didn't lose that. He said, I knew you worked hard for it, didn't want to take a risk. And he thought the Lord would be proud of him. And the Lord rebuked him. In fact, he called him wicked and slothful and cast him in outer darkness. Other passages, yeah, laziness, that was really the root problem was laziness. Cast him in outer darkness 
where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, which to me indicates that the fella had religion but didn't have a relationship. You can be on a church view and still go to hell. Thinking you're doing God a service just by being here. I want to help redefine for you this morning what church faithfulness is. Because when he blessed those that gained, he said, Well done, thou good and what? Faithful servant. I have mistakenly put too much emphasis as a pastor on defining faithfulness as regular church attendance. If that's all we got, we have failed miserably in teaching what faithfulness is. To be faithful is not just to show up. Be doers of the word and not hearers only. Deceiving your own self. I'm afraid we have deceived ourselves into thinking that we have give, done God a service just by showing up. But, by not, but what, what are we, what's he going to say to us when he says, well, what did you do with all that knowledge? What did you do with all that revelation? What did you do with all that admonition and those instructions? What did you do with my commandments? Or did, it just, did you just absorb it like a sponge but never release it into the world? Faithfulness is not just to attendance, but it's to duty and responsibility. And these two servants that were blessed for having gained and grown, they were faithful to their duty. It was their responsibility. Basically, the master of the house left his possessions in their care and fully expected them to be wise stewards. The Bible says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That means faithful to his duties to his master, not faithful to his definition of what he should do with it. See, a lot of people are faithful to stupidity. Can I get an amen? We all right? A lot of people are, you know, a lot of people are faithful to insanity. Y'all have heard the definition. Doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. Oh, we're faithful to doing the same old, same old that produces no fruit. That's not faithfulness. That's slothfulness. That's stupidity. And we all do it. When we give, when we, when we make ourselves susceptible to the flesh. Because the flesh, Paul the Apostle even said, I beat my body and bring it into subjection. I got to drag this old flesh around and make it do everything right. Because it won't do nothing unless I drag it along. You remember Lot? Uh, God had to send angels and literally drag Lot and his family out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, that's a picture of what we have to do to our flesh to serve God. You have to drag it into serving God because it does not want to do anything that, that requires effort and sacrifice. It wants comfort and ease and luxury. And, and, and it, 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 the flesh just wants what the, you got to crucify that thing. You got to drag your flesh to church. When you get up in the morning, if you're able to get up, uh, some of you do this every Sunday morning. You come not because it's comfortable, but because you have a conviction that you're supposed to be here and you need the Word of God. And I salute you. If it's a struggle for you physically to come and you come anyway, I praise God for that kind of faithfulness because that shows me that you're, make, you're dragging your flesh to do what the Spirit knows it should be doing. But the slothful just uh, put their soul at ease, kick their feet up, and they just try to coast to glory and hope that somebody else does the work. 
Have you ever been on a job site and, uh, and the boss man spoke and said, we need this done and you know, there's always one or two standing around waiting on everybody else to put their hands on it first so that they don't have to do as much. Amen. You know what God's looking for in the kingdom? Eager beavers. People that you can't stop them from serving God. You can't stop them from wanting to do more. I don't want to face God on judgment day and be left with the question, what if? What if I had obeyed? What if I had pursued a little bit more? What if I had been more aware of the responsibilities and opportunities and actually did something with them? The problem is we fight and contend with this old flesh. Something as simple as a new Bible study program for a church. Your flesh, no doubt, is already fighting it. I know that. I know that. Mine is too. Let's be real. And, and if you're not careful, you'll feed the flesh's thoughts. You say, you know, and you get the mully grubbing about it. So I bless God, I don't have to do that. Yeah. And then you don't have to do it. Find your pathway with God. But let me tell you something. Be careful that you don't listen to your flesh. Amen. It could be your flesh talking because the devil knows what weaknesses and vulnerabilities to take advantage of to talk you right out of getting into the Word of God and it changing your life forever. You see what I'm saying? So we have then a picture of two faithful stewards and one that was slothful and wicked and just quite frankly flat out lazy. Didn't, it wasn't that he mismanaged it was that he did nothing at all. And we learn a principle that God would rather us take a risk in faith and fail than to take no risk at all. Because it ain't about the money or whatever. It's about being faithful to his commandment and obedient to his word. Amen. That's what it's about. Do you think God is chewing his fingernails and worried that his kingdom's going to run out of money if we spend too much money in our church trying to reach our community? Do you think God in the least bit is worried that, 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 that heaven will go bankrupt if we invest what God has entrusted to us into, into being successful and maximizing this opportunity to reach this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, God ain't worried a bit about the money. He, he spoke the universe into existence. He owns it all. He owns the cattle of a thousand hills. God don't fret about money like we do. What God wants to know is, where's your heart and where's your commitment? What will you do with the opportunities that are presented to you? There are things that God puts in our life that I would call assets that we are Fully responsible to be aware of and to take advantage of. Uh, those assets can be spiritual, they can be relational, and they can be monetary. Okay, let's, let's break that down. Spiritual opportunities are 
are simply that, opportunities to invest in someone's life spiritually. Whether it's giving a testimony, whether it's leading them to the Lord, whether it's going out on visitation and inviting somebody to church. Those are spiritual opportunities. And by the way, if opportunities are not coming, knocking your door down, give, uh, uh, introducing themselves to you, did you know that you have the willpower to go out and create opportunities yourself? See, the lazy, the slothful waits for everything to be brought to their lap. The hungry goes and gets it. Amen. And that's why I make a lot of religious folk uncomfortable. Because I'm burning rubber on the track, spinning my wheels, trying to gain traction and take off. And it's making other people very uncomfortable because they ain't used to that high rate of speed. And I'm not bragging on me. I'm just trying to explain the passion that's in me and what drives me and why it aggravates the religious spirit. And, you know, if you ever really get on fire for God, it ought to inspire you, not bother you. You ought to fan the flame. You ought to praise God and pray for fruit and results and get behind it. You may not be the lead ringer, but at least you can support what God's doing. Can I get an amen this morning? It's no doubt in my mind whatsoever that God put us together. So I say this is a spiritual opportunity that we need not waste. There's also relational opportunities. There's reasons God connected me to you and you to me. If God wanted me pastoring the church down the road, he'd have sent me to the church down the road. But he sent me here. If God wanted you attending another church, he'd have sent you to the other church. But you're here. What are we going to do about it? Are we going to fight and, squ and squabble and, and, and try to uh, play king of the hill? Or are we going to get in line with what the book says do and get about doing it? Amen. I'm talking about cultivating an atmosphere of unity, looking at relationships as opportunity and responsibility. Amen. It is my responsibility to try to light a fire up under every church member watching tonight's Baptist church. And it's also my responsibility to confront apathy and make the fire so hot that you'll either catch on fire or you'll distance yourself because we don't need mediocrity in the church. God said, I would you were hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I will spew thee out of my mouth. I don't want God getting sick to the stomach because we're just coasting along, uh, uh, taking no, uh, little to no risk. Now, I'm not talking about being ignorant. I'm not talking about being stupid. I'm not talking about being ill-advised. But I am talking about figuring out how to make progress and quit allowing so many minuscule roadblocks uh, from keeping us from making progress in the kingdom of God. Amen. So, three things I want to notice about our text. First, I want you to notice the commissioning. Verses uh, 14 and 15. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. Watch this. To every man according to his several ability. And you have more than one ability. And straightway took his journey. He, he gave it to him. He took off. 
He already knew what they were capable of. But he wanted to test them to see if they would take, op- take advantage of the opportunity and avail themselves. You see, God ain't always going to just uh, spell it out in a cloud for you. Sometimes it looks like nothing more than opportunity that you need to be consciously aware of and spiritually in tune to. Amen. And, and I'm afraid a lot of times we're waiting for a voice when we already got a verse. Amen. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. Why, what are we waiting on? We've already been given the command. We've already been, been given the authority. We've already been given the manual. Amen. We've already been given the Holy Spirit, but we're still sitting around. We, hey, I know churches will sit around for 30 years and have what they call discipleship programs on Sunday evening. All they ever do is talk about it, but they never actually do it. It is a sad reality, and we've all been guilty of it. I want you to get out of your mind that church is the total lump sum of being here on Sunday morning. If that's all you got, I'd worry about it. Can I be frank? There ought to be a drive in you to want to make a difference for Jesus some kind of way. That you don't want to just be here at church and absorb, uh, have a, a religious experience, but you want to make a difference out in the world. You want to be a light to this lost and dying world. There ought to be a drive in you to point other people to Jesus some kind of way. There ought to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness in your heart. You ought to want to come closer to the Lord and not get mad when somebody else challenges you on it. The commissioning was this. He gave to every man according to his several ability. Notice that opportunities are equal to God-given abilities. God will not ask you to do what he ain't already equipped you or ain't planning on equipping you to do. He will ask you to do some things that are beyond your scope of ability, but he won't ask you to do things that are beyond your scope of faith. If you can believe it, God can work with you. You see, what they had the ability to do is not so much about their physical ability to manage things. It was about their spiritual vision. They had the ability to see opportunity and seize the moment and, and make a, a, a calculated risk, yes, but they took the risk nonetheless because they had vision, because they had faith, and they were rewarded. Uh, what is the root word for faithfulness? It's faith. They were able to be faithful because they had faith. It wasn't their intellect. It wasn't their, uh, 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 their, their, their business acumen, if you will. It was their ability to see opportunity and seize the moment by faith, trusting that it's going to kind of all work out some kind of way if we'll just trust God. Amen. So we see the commissioning. And I want you to know that God has commissioned every, every believer to serve him. And it is our responsibility to, be, to seek the will of God, to say, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, whatever you got going on in heaven and your plans, I want them to translate into reality in my life. So help me to find out what you want me to do with what you've entrusted to me and get busy doing it. If it's leading a prayer chain or if it's, if it's, a, if it's starting a woman's Bible study or if it's, a, or if it's getting more involved in the things that God's uh, stirring our hearts to do around here. Whatever it is, 
Get busy serving God, but don't let your opportunities go to waste because finders are keepers, but losers are weepers. If you don't, seize the moment and take full responsibility for what you have been entrusted, you will lose it. You know why churches are dying today? Squandered opportunities and a spirit of laziness that hit the churches. So lazy. In fact, I went as a guest preacher to a church in Mississippi one time, and not one single person even introduced themselves to me and thanked me for coming as the guest speaker or even introduced me. So lazy, they couldn't even give me the common courtesy of saying, by the way, this is our preacher tonight. I had to get up and tell them myself who I was and why I was there. Now, I know every church ain't that bad. It's a point, though, to be made. Is a spirit of laziness invading our churches to the point to where people are not looking to get in. They're looking to get out. They're not looking to get more involved. They're looking to distance themselves and hope somebody else volunteers before they do so they don't have to. It's not going to cut it on judgment day. God wants us engaged and involved in the work of the Lord. And I'm going to continue to be a spiritual cheerleader to that end. Because he, he trusts us with what we're capable of. It was no surprise that the one that didn't do anything was the one who initially was given the least. Because God already knew he wasn't going to do much. Why would God trust you with something if he already knows your propensity to blunder? But the Bible does say if you're faithful over a few things, he'll make you ruler over many. If you want to be entrusted with more responsibility, then be responsible with what you've already been entrusted first. Don't, want to, don't, don't, don't be expecting people to roll out the red carpet for you and give you a position with a title when you can't even be at minimum faithful in attendance, for example. You'd be surprised at the pastors who've tried to put people into positions of leadership just to hope that it would motivate them to show up for church regular. Let me tell you something. If faithfulness ain't in you to start with, it won't be in you down the road either. Amen. If you want God to use you, you're going to have to be willing to avail yourself. And, but I, I want to go back. I don't want to fall into that trap of just assuming that faithfulness just means being here every time the door's open. That's just a start. But it's, it's to be here, to be fully alert, aware, and cognitive, and engaging, and willing to say, Speak, Lord, thy servant here. What will thou have me to do? That's what it's about. Amen. So we see the commissioning. But secondly, uh, I want to look at the contrasts. Verses 16 through 18. Uh, then he that had received the five talents went and traded with the same and made them other five talents. And likewise, he that had received two, he also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. Ooh. Hid it. Out of sight, out of mind. But God is fully aware. Need I say more? Note, two were focused, as I, and I've already said this once, two were focused on gaining and one was focused on keeping. Let me tell you what you do to keep. Absolutely nothing. That's the easy thing to do. The hard thing to do is take some risk and trust God. 
Amen. And I will say this in any church in America or around the world. But if the church wants to see God use us at maximum capacity, we're going to have to start trusting him. We're going to have to start taking leaps of faith. We're going to have to start being willing to say, you know what? Whatever God says and whatever the kingdom wants, that's what we need to do. I'm afraid we've gotten into a trap in a lot of our Southern Baptist churches. Can I be candid for just a minute? You know where we've gotten? We've gotten to where the leadership of the church is expected to be a complaint department that takes complaints and gets busy about trying to address the concerns of the complainers to try to keep peace and it's making everybody miserable. You can't keep peace when you have a, a monster with multiple heads. Yeah. We have gotten to the point, and churches have done this to themselves. Deacons have been put in positions they should have never been put in. To where they're expected to, to jump high when the most disgruntled church member says jump. Or the one with the most money that gives the most. The one with the, the most power or control. Uh, and, and we've turned it into church politics. Oh, it makes me sick. It makes me sick to my stomach. And it, by the way, it makes God sick. Because church ain't about politics. It's about being obedient to the Lord. Amen. And we owe our deacons an apology for expecting them to jump high when somebody says jump high. And, and expecting them to, and, and, and getting their stomach all tore up and nerves all week long because somebody said something, and now they're expected to say something to the preacher that they were too cowardice to say to him, his face themselves. Can I get an amen? If you got something to say to me, you come up and be a man about it, and you look at me in my God-given eyeballs, and you tell me, but don't be running to my deacons and giving them trouble all week, expecting them to come deliver your uh, evil reports. And the deacons have my permission to shut them down. If they come to you complaining with a griping spirit, brother, I'm telling you right now, shut them off and say, go talk to the pastor. I am not your garbage dump. I don't know where that came from. I'm not, I'm not thinking of one single instance. I promise you, it just came out. Churches have done this to themselves. There's not a hierarchy of leadership where the, 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 the pastor is the, the puppet and the deacons are the puppet masters and they're responding to complainers in the church pews that's got to keep that preacher straight, but they're going to use the leverage of the deacons to do it. Hogwash. That's not biblical. It's anti-biblical. And if you want to run a church in the ground and watch it die in 10 or 15 years, just keep doing it that way and it'll be gone with the wind. Amen. So I want to say this morning that if you want to do it the Bible way, you're going to have to have one pastor who does it under the guidance of the great shepherd. If I get out of line with that book and my great shepherd, you have every right to complain to me and we'll talk about it. And if I'm wrong, I'll get right with God. I'll apologize to you privately and to the church publicly. 
But don't just be running around talking about, I just don't like how long he preaches. I just don't like uh, the color they pick for the carpet in that business meeting, blah, blah. Just, I'm talking about men which chase mice while lions devour the land. Find something more important to talk about at church. Like, how many people did you come bring to church with you that need Jesus this week? Hello? See, you know why we talk about the petty? Because we don't have nothing else to talk about. The Bible says, commit thy works to the Lord and thy thoughts shall be established. If you get busy serving God, you wouldn't have time to waste about this petty junk that, has no, that makes no difference in eternity for somebody's soul. Amen. <laughs> Woo, I'm feeling good. I'm talking about, uh, while we're on the subject, uh, the way I understand the Bible is when, when they delegated the deacons, the pastors decided under the direction of the Holy Spirit that the church needed deacons. And so the pastor nominated the deacon and the church voted on the deacon. The deacons themselves were not the nominating committee for deacons. That wasn't even, that's, that's, a, that's a fallacy in some of the church structure. Because what you end up with sometimes, if you don't do it biblically, sometimes you can end up with a disgruntled deacon that, don't, that wants to pick somebody else as the next deacon on rotation that sides with them that's not spiritually minded. And uh, they have more power than the pastor does in terms of who's selected and nominated for deaconship. So... The reason the Bible gives us the example is so that the pastor who is hooked up to the Holy Ghost can hear from God. And he might see things about somebody that even the deacons may not be privy to. He might know things. He might have heard things. He might have confidential information that, that he would be, uh, what do they call it? Uh, he would be violating their privacy if he even told the deacons about. That's why it's important for things to be done decently and in order. I was pastoring a church one time, and, and I had to set this in order in that church. I said, look, you can't just go nominate somebody else uh, without my approval. I've got to be in on that conversation, and if I don't agree with it, we can't do it. And they don't want to give the pastor that much power because they think he's going to go power hungry and crazy and all that kind of stuff. And some of them do. But let me tell you something. That's also addressed in the Bible. The Bible has an answer for everything. Amen. If I go crazy, just vote me out. Right. Amen. If I go crazy, just vote me out and get you another pastor. Simple. Now, you hear what I'm saying, though? You hear what I'm saying? We, we create these unnecessary man-made structures that are not biblical, and it creates all kinds of problems with the way the churches are flowing. And it also, and I have to say this, what it does is it prohibits us from seizing opportunities that are before us because we have to check it with so many people before we can even make a, a suggestion. But I got a question for you. If God already told us in the Bible to do it, why do we have to get a majority opinion on it? I had somebody get uh, upset because I went down there to Matthews and started a tent meeting and I didn't run it officially through the church. Well, God didn't tell me to run it through the church. God said, go preach to Matthews, and I did. Amen. And people were upset because I, uh, I don't know why, actually. I, I don't find anywhere in the Bible where I had to actually get that sanctioned 
by uh, get permission from another man to do what God's already told me to do. Now, if the church wanted to get involved, they could, and they, some of them did, and I thank God for it. But I didn't twist their arm, and I didn't beg them. They volunteered, and I said, well, praise God for it. <laughs> Here's my point. When we get so traditional-minded when the tradition is not 100% biblically accurate and sound, it creates all kind of unnecessary tensions that prohibit us from seizing moments that God would have us to seize. And churches dry up on the vine and die because people are too nervous to even suggest a new idea because so-and-so was always the one to shut it down. And so it prohibits growth, it prohibits unity, it, pro it prohibits conversations, and we squander our moment, we fumble the ball. And I just want you to know <laughs> that if we get in unity with that book, it'll blow your mind what God can do around it. And I think he's up to it. I think God is just helping us to acclimate our thinking to more of a biblical alignment than a traditional mindset so that when God speaks, it won't be such a red flag. You know where them red flags are coming from, don't you? If it's anti-God, well, if it's the spirit of fear, God's not giving us that spirit. Amen. So we're talking about uh, opportunities, seizing the moment. Am I okay so far? Am I in the book? Amen. I need to glue that to my hand. All right, so <laughs> uh, we see the contrast then is that two gained, one kept. And the reason it was such a big deal is because he had no desire to even try to do anything by faith yeah. dead upon arrival his Lord it was just as easy as should have just took it with him on his journey and when he returned it would have been in his pocket and it would have been no difference yeah. amen and God would have us as a church to not squander opportunities and not be afraid of risk taking when it's biblical and led by the Holy Ghost. And I'll say one more thing on this matter. I'll move it to my third and final point. Because of the religious ideas that people grew up in. And that mindset is so firm in people's mind that they're more stubborn than they are willing a lot of times. You don't know how much vision I've got yet. As a pastor, you don't. You see what I believe that God has told me that the majority can handle. But let me tell you what God has. God has a vision far bigger than any of us. The Bible says, Eye hath not seen, ear hath not heard, neither hath entered into the heart of them to believe that things that God hath prepared for them that love him. Amen? But why would I talk up here when I'm not even heard down here? What's the point? I left one church over that very issue. They weren't absorbing anything. It was like water off a duck's back. Why would God try to keep pouring into stubbornness? His spirit will not always strive with man. 
Amen. So what we need to do is we need to open our mouth wide so he can feel it. That means increase our capacity to receive. To say, speak, Lord, thy servant heareth. And by the way, Lord, we're not going to require you to jump through our hoops and run through our man-made mechanisms that don't even line up with the Word of God. Amen. And I know some of you want me to get real technical here and point specifically out things that I've got a problem with. I ain't going to do it. I ain't going to do it. Because if the Holy Ghost can't reveal it to you, there's no point in me even having that argument. But if God can convince you, we're on the same page then. Amen. By the way, we're making a lot of progress. I believe that, don't you? I believe God's doing a lot. But growth comes with growing pains. And it does make us uncomfortable. And it does challenge us. But I don't want to just focus on the negative. I want to focus on the reality that to whom is, to he that hath, the same shall be given. This is my third and final point. I want to look at the consequences. Verse 29. For unto everyone that shall be given, that hath rather, shall be given, and he shall have abundance. So because they were not afraid to be obedient and operate in faith, they not only was able to keep what they had, but they was also given more. Why were they given more? Because they were not afraid to lose what was given to them with the proposition that it would grow. These were investors, which means you have to initially let it go and trust that it'll return. But if you're a keeper, you don't have an investment mindset. You have a keeper, a maintenance mindset. The church never grew with a maintenance mindset. It never does. God maintains his church. And guess what? If we be obedient to the Lord and, 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 and everything goes to pot and God shuts it down, that's his business. That's not ours. Amen. God can pl plant churches anywhere he wants to and he can take them down anywhere he wants to. Study the life of the Apostle Paul who wanted to go to a certain location. The Holy Ghost said, don't go there, go there. The Lord, this is his kingdom. This is his church. This is, he said, upon this rock, the revelation of who I am, I will build my church. This is Jesus' church, and Jesus will build his church his way. Amen. But I'm, I'm glad, I'm excited about the prospects. I, I've seen God honor the sacrifice of many since I've been here, a little over two and a half years now. Many of you have sacrificed. Many of you have labored. Many of you have taken heat for your new pastor. And I realize that. But you're still here because you believe in what God's doing. And you're starting to see fruit. You're starting to see young people get saved and on fire for God. You're starting to see people grow in the, in the nursery and the admonition of the Lord. You're starting to see people uh, shift their mindset and their attitude to want the things of God more than the things of man. I'm saying we're gaining because we're willing to take a shift with Jesus. Mm-hmm. The consequences of, of pursuing gain in the kingdom is that if you have any gain, you'll be given more, and he shall have abundance. See, the only thing that we should be afraid of is, is failure for lack of action. But if you will just be obedient to the Lord in faith, in time, 
God will make it all worthwhile. God will make it worthwhile. Amen. He certainly will. He'll make it worthwhile. I'm a believer in that. I'm living proof of that. It's not always been easy. But Jesus never promised the easy road. But look at the consequences of the slothful. He said, cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness. Get this picture in your mind of a wedding banquet in, in, in Jewish culture 2,000 years ago. Uh, they typically took place at night, these wedding banquets. And if you were not an invited guest, you were on the outside, quote-unquote, outer darkness. It gives you a picture, a word picture of what, it, it, what Jesus could be alluding to, that some people think they're part of the kingdom, but they're not because they have no evidence or fruit. Uh, John the Baptist said, if you want to get baptized, bring proof that you've repented. What if we started implementing that in our Baptist churches? <laughs> Woo, hallelujah. We want to see you living right first. I know a pastor that does that. Not, I'm not saying I'm going to do it because there is a biblical precedent for baptizing them immediately and putting them in the hands of God and trusting the Holy Ghost with them. Amen. That's what we've got to do. But some people think they got the root, but they don't have no fruit. Some people think they're serving God by doing nothing. But they have called it something else. You see how man-made religion can invent religious activities to make you feel better about yourself, but it has nothing to do with what the Bible actually asks us to do. Amen. I got you thinking this morning, don't I? Hinders or keepers, those who can find opportunities and seize the moment, will get to keep and gain as God blesses. But those who are unprofitable, those who only focus on keeping and maintaining, it is my obligation to inform you, shall be judged very harshly for it. And there will be weeping. And I'm sure all of us have failed Jesus in some way, and in some ways we'll all be weeping at the, great, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ. For those of us who will be at the judgment seat of Christ. By the way, if you're born again, that's, that's where you're going to be. Amen. I'm sure we'll all have, because he said uh, he shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. That's after the judgment. I think we'll be, there'll be a lot of weeping over disappointments. Thing, regrets, things we didn't do that we should have done. Our, our work shall be tried, yet so as by fire. The wood, hay, and stubble shall be burned up. And I wonder how much we'll even have left to show for by the time judgment takes place. And I'm just telling you, my heart as a pastor is to pursue Jesus passionately, thoroughly, and violently. Because that's the only thing that will burn out the dross of dead, cold religion. It's the only thing that will burn it out. And we all are vulnerable to the leaven. And so we all have to stay on our knees and ask God, Lord, is it I? You remember that? When they were at the Lord's Supper, 
Jesus said, one of y'all going to, every one of them, Lord, is it me? We all are just that close to being stupid, aren't we? We got to stay on our knees and not be a Pharisee, but pray for one another and pray for ourselves that we'll be doing what God has asked us to do and not deceiving ourselves into thinking everything's good when all we have to show for is that we kept the lights on at Washington Heights Baptist Church. There's more to it than keeping the lights on. We need to get about meeting people where they're at, loving people where they're at, drawing them. And he said, you might say, well, that's going to cost me time and money I don't have. Well, why don't you ask God to increase what you have then? question is, are you willing to do it? Will you use what you do have? You got a phone? Call somebody. You got an extra seat in your car? Pick somebody up for church. Did you know 100% of people picked up show up? <laughs> Amen. Before you worry about having a bus ministry, have you got a burden to fill that extra seat in your car? I've got this idea about our bus ministry. By the way, I believe God will bless us with the bus ministry if we start filling up our empty seats in our vehicles first. When the people have a heart for it, a unified heart for it, and, and, and it can be supported by a majority, then God can give us that. But if it's not going to be supported by the majority, and I'm not trying to make everybody feel guilty and bad, and I'm try not trying to preach a downer sermon. This is just what pastors have to do sometimes. Amen. We just got to get real. We got to just self-evaluate. Say, okay, where am I with God? What can I do to avail myself not only in prayer and in church attendance, but in service to my king? Amen. And if we'll do that, maybe he'll say to us, well done. I would rather him say that than depart or you wicked and slothful servant. Get out of my presence. Wow. So the conclusion is, I just want us to take a personal inventory of our assets, whether they're uh, spiritual opportunities, relational opportunities, or fiscal response, uh, opportunities, maybe to give and invest. Amen. Uh, are we pursuing growth in all areas with some calculated and expected risk? Did you notice I said both calculated and expected? If, you, if, uh, if we can only do it if we are guaranteed no loss, we'll never do it. Amen. In fact, Jesus never guaranteed no loss. In fact, he, he guaranteed the opposite, that you will lose some things. You'll lose your life. He that loseth his life for my sake in the gospel, the same shall find. He guarantees a loss, a total loss. Your whole life. What are we afraid of loss for? By the way, the same shall find it means if you'll lose it for him, he'll replenish it in his way, in his time. And it'll be far more glorious than what we could keep and squander in our own hands without his help, aid, guidance and intervention amen I don't know where this shoe fits for us today but I'm throwing it out there in obedience to the Lord 
And I'm just asking you as church members to do some soul searching and praying for one another and just ask God, okay, God, we've heard you. Now help us to understand how to practically put this to work in our lives, both individually and as a congregation so that we can move forward. I mean, Brother Ron's got a burden for this community, and I do too, and they're gonna, we're going to hopefully start a visitation program first uh, Saturday in February. Uh, Saturday morning, we're going to have a drive-through prayer. Some people are going to come and start l learning the ropes on how to give the gospel to somebody so that when the opportunity presents itself, you can do that at Walmart or you can go out on visitation with us and do it on somebody's doorstep. But, 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 but God is, God is uh, taking us right up to the edge of a move of God saying, all right, all right let, me, let me use this illustration, right up to the edge of the, the, the River Jordan, fixing to cross over into the promised land, and the question is, will we cross over? Or will we be like the doubting ten and say, well, there's too many giants, and we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're measuring what we should do by what the way we perceive ourselves instead of the way we perceive God. Quit measuring our abilities by what we see with a natural eye. It'll never work. We've, we've got to get our eyes set on things above, not on things on the earth. And we have just as much a responsibility to pursue opportunity as we do to manage what we got. And if all we're doing is managing and we're not pursuing, we're going to be rebuked. God help us. Everybody standing to your feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. And if you need to talk to the Lord, you can do it right there in your spot. You can come down here and pray in the altar. It really don't make no difference to me. All I ask you to do is be obedient to the Holy Spirit of God. There's no pressure from me. But if the Holy Ghost is dialing your number, church, let's pray that God would give us a year of increase as we are willing to take greater steps of faith towards what He would have us to do. And all of God's children say amen.